Hello and welcome to the Capital Hive podcast where we talk all about entrepreneurship, business and experiences. Please give a warm welcome to our guest and let's have her introduce herself. Sure. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and confidence building coach and I help talented entrepreneurs and business people find, claim and express their inner confidence. And what does that mean on a day-to-day basis? How do you go about doing your work? Well, I meet with people. I do one-on-one coachings and I also give presentations. But in the one-on-one coachings, I will meet with people who are intelligent, talented, but they're struggling with confidence issues. And those could be issues like leadership. Those could be issues like communicating effectively. It could even be issues like claiming their right to their own projects. They're not speaking up enough and sharing their ideas. And that goes back to feeling a lack of confidence. Okay. So you try to give people, I guess, their own voice in a a way. Absolutely. If they don't don't have that. That's right. So as you said, it's one-on-one, but do you do group coaching as well? Are you more like a coach or a consultant or what, what would you define yourself as? Well, I define myself as a coach. And I do one-on-one coaching. And in addition to that, I do give presentations to large groups in companies where I'll go in and talk about a specific skill set. So a really popular one is presentation skills. People are very nervous about their communication skills. They lack confidence. They know what they want to say, but they lack the confidence in how to express themselves. So I'll go in and I'll give an overview of how to create a presentation, how to reduce nervousness and reach a lot of people in that presentation. Okay. But what do you prefer? Do you prefer doing like a company where a big speech or do you prefer having one-on-one talks? You know, that's a great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. Mm. I enjoy both for different reasons. I enjoy the one-on-one work because you can really dig in deeply and find out what's going on with someone. And in a large group, they might not necessarily share their vulnerability. They might not say why to their colleagues, why they're struggling with confidence. So I can really go deeply with them in a one-on-one session. And in the presentations, there's something about speaking to a large group and having that dynamic between audience and speaker that I also really enjoy. So it's about me sharing my own voice and I get a lot of pleasure and satisfaction out of that. Okay. But do you feel that, that where how do I formulate this correctly, that people get um, an actual growth because I've listened to many presentations where people have come along, tell their story and then it's break time. And then I forgot what they said. Um, but I feel like, in a one-on-one that's personalized to you. So I'll give an example and then you'll help me with that. So I feel like that's something I will actually remember. Yes, that's really true. The The interesting thing about presentations is, you know, because I am a psychotherapist, I'm coming into presentations with, with this view of how can I help that audience and really give very clear, specific, you walk out of the room after the presentation and you can put that into action as opposed to what you might be talking about is more people who come in and they give motivational speeches like look what i did and here's how i over 
came in and you can do it too. And there's a place for that. And that can be very inspiring to people. But I also think that people are craving the how-to piece. Well, how do I do it? You did it. How do I do it? So I really gear my presentations to here's how you do it. And that seems to have a great effect on people. I can see that because I'm the person, I'm not the kind of guy that wants to listen to a huge story and then go, well, have a nice day. I mean, like, all right, what's actually the things I need to do? So let's say I'm training for a marathon. I need to run once a week, at least 10 kilometers, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's that's the kind of person I am, at least. That's right. You want to know, like, well, what do you do? And how do you face those struggles when you start to, when you're running, when you run out of energy? And how do you push through those final miles? Like I said, it's inspiring to hear someone say, well, I never ran a marathon before, and now I have, and you can do it. You're saying, and most people want this, well, how? And how do, not only how, but what happens when I run into a roadblock? How do I overcome that? And how do I then get to the finish line yeah i think that i think maybe that's just me but i feel like that has become a lot more um present that you want the how because we get all these stories through social media youtube and netflix but there's generally not a how so you see this story like swiping through tiktok oh i ran a marathon and lost all this weight and so on but you never get the how he actually did that or how could i do that I think that's true. And I think that's a really good point. And I always say to people, I see a very different side, right? I'm a therapist and a coach. Mm. So I see what's behind the TikTok video. I see what's behind the Facebook post. So I've seen people and worked with people who get very depressed and anxious because they're scrolling and they're seeing people who seem to be achieving these incredible goals, but they might not be sharing the reality of what it takes to get to a goal, which is the, which is sometimes the pain of confronting your own fears, or it's the vulnerability, or it's the self-doubt. I see that, and I think there needs to be more of that presented to the world. Okay, yeah, I, I think I think that's a very good point because in the end, effect, everyone uses social media today, and or well, not everyone, of course, we can't generalize, but a lot of people use social media nowadays. And I think it has, especially when we're talking about confidence, it has changed people's confidence because you see, look at a TikTok, oh, I drive a Bugatti, I run a marathon each week, and uh, by the way, I don't eat snacks at all and or something like that. And then you just go, hmm, that makes me feel kind of bad about myself. It's true. And people do end up feeling badly about themselves. And I think that's why there's kind of a a swing to the other side when the when the truth is revealed, people get very upset and angry that this person who presented a one-dimensional view of themselves, when they reveal that they've struggled and they haven't revealed it along the way, their audience gets really angry at them. And that's why I think we see these huge backlashes against people and they fall from grace, so to speak. They fall from the highest high to the lowest low because there's a lack of authenticity. And I'm not saying you have to spill your guts on social media. In fact, I don't necessarily think that's the best thing to do, but I do think that if you want to engage with followers, you wanna be as authentic as possible while honoring your own boundaries. Yeah, now we're talking about 
confidence and that's in the end effect what you do you train people's confidence but how do you define confidence i define confidence as a person's belief true belief in themselves and their abilities and what i mean by that is that you know life is going to give us bumps along the way but if we truly believe that we're a good person and that we have something to offer to the world i mean really really believe that then we're going to be able to withstand all of the rockiness that life sometimes offers us so it's that true belief and you can see it when people believe in themselves there is this inner energy i'm a big body mind person so you can recognize this inner energy of of complete trust in who they are and how do i see that as a non-therapist how do i see someone's actually being confident about what they're talking about so maybe a startup trying to pitch to me and they're actually confident in their idea or just presenting a confident idea but are actually thinking in their heads this idea is actually really bad but we need to sell it somehow i think there's you know that's a great question because i think that what happens is you're what you what you recognize and you can let me know if this is what you're talking about since i am a big body mind person when we start to doubt someone's kind of pitch to us, it's usually because we're picking up a disconnection between their energy, their physical energy and their words. So someone could have a great pitch and be talking and, and know all the, the right things to say, but what we're noticing on a very primal level is they're agitated or they're moving around a lot or they sound artificial. And that is a very nonverbal signal that they're not in alignment and trusting that what they have to offer you is something that they really believe in. You can pick up doubt in people. And that doesn't mean we have to be perfect. I mean, we're all, all allowed to try new things and sometimes mm. we're not 100% solid when we first start. But I think that if we share our humanity, so for example, if I was pitching you and I was really nervous and I stumbled over it, Instead of just rushing past that, if I said, you know what, I'm really nervous. I really believe in this idea and I want to share it with you. And I find myself rushing my words. So let me take a minute and slow down and ask you if you have any questions for me. Like really being more present and in the moment is how you'll recognize someone who has confidence in themselves. Okay, but what if, let's say... So I'm generally not nervous for bigger crowds. So definitely if it's a thousand people, I will be nervous. But if it's like my class, I have no problem standing up there and talking. So, but how can I, how can they see that I'm confident in my idea or confident in whatever this project I have started and not in myself as presenting because I might be confident in standing up there and holding this speech about this great idea I have. But you, how do I recognize that I'm not confident in the idea or what I'm talking about? I think when you move past the prepared remarks and you get into the back and forth, right? So let's say you give your presentation to your class and you've memorized it, you've rehearsed it, you do it really well. But then comes a question and answer period where people are asking you things that you don't expect. That's when confidence shines through. That's when someone who believes in themselves and believes in what they're talking about, takes the time to think about their answer, they share their humanity, and they're able to express their excitement or belief in what they're talking about. 
a person who just has a great speech and then you get to the question and answer and they're like, uh, I'll have to get back to you or I'm not sure or I, I've never thought about that before. That's going to show that lack of confidence. Okay. From my so perspective. In, that's from my perspective. So in the end effect, it's not as much about the presentation. If you're looking for the idea and the, the confidence in the idea, it's the knowledge and how well uh, thought through it actually was. That's right. That's very well put. Exactly. The knowledge, you, you get a sense that they can back up the idea with in-depth knowledge. So should it be a downturn or just, um, maybe not a downturn, but should I maybe have a sharper eye, I guess, if someone constantly says, I'll have to get back to you on that, or I need to check with blah, 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 if that is something we can do? Yeah. I mean, sometimes people don't know what you're going to ask them, so they will have to get back to you. Mm. But if there's this constant, I don't know the answer to that, I'll have to get back to you. Or they seem very thrown by what you've asked them. You know, someone pitching should have a solid, from my perspective, a solid baseline of what they can offer. And if they start to get out of their scope, they could say to you, you know, we're going into an area that I'd have to do some research on. So rather than waste your time, let me research that and get back to you. There's an honesty, that's confidence too, mm. right? When you're honest, it shows confidence in your self-acceptance. I accept I don't know the answer, so I'm gonna get back to you and I feel okay about that. So now, now we're talking about showing confidence, but let's say I'm doing this podcast and I say something wrong or I stumble my words and I just go, oh, sorry, this is what I meant. This might be just a tactic for me to show I'm confident, but not actually, I am confident. How can I tell the difference? It will eventually become an outside-in process, right? You, you, we, one of the myths about confidence is people go, well, either people have it or they don't. Hmm. Some people just have it and, and I'll never get it. And I don't think that's true. Are there people who are kind of naturally confident from the day they were born? Yeah, there, there are. But... Other people can learn how to be more confident. So sometimes, not sometimes actually, a lot of times, it's in the practicing of the skills of confidence. It's doing exactly what you said. Oh, I made a mistake. I stumbled on a word in this podcast. I'm going to stop. I'm going to regroup and I'm just going to talk again. And then what I'll realize is the world didn't come to an end. That mm. actually things went on. The guests didn't run out of the room. The podcast continued. Oh, I'm allowed to stumble and fumble sometimes, just like everybody else. And the more you realize you can do that, the more your confidence will build. Okay. Yeah. So in the end effect, doing these things that make you look confident will in the end effect also make you more confident. That's right. Mm. Absolutely. So maybe maybe this is just a very weird way of putting it but can i how is well how's the best way to train confidence is it by doing these things to make you look confident and then people saying oh you're confident or you have improved your confidence or is it something i have to think about or what 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 did i actually have to do <laughs> to... it makes sense i i think it, you let me know if i get the question mm. right i what i i've put it into two categories to build confidence one is what I call confidence boosting things. These are things that you do that are all about receiving, like things that you do that are just 
great for you, things that you love to do. Oh, I, you know, I, I love doing that activity. It's something I enjoy. I love, I love running. I love skiing. It's, it built, it, it helps my mood. Oh, I love, you know, I, I need to boost my mood. I want to feel better in the world. I'm going to buy a great shirt and that's going to make me feel good. Mm. I'm going to radiate confidence. So some, that's about receiving. You're not really doing anything to stretch yourself. The confidence building parts, we have boosters and builders. Building is stretching. Building is saying, I want to do a podcast. I want to host a podcast. Never done it before. I'm going to try it. I'm going to yeah. learn about it. I'm going to try it and I'm going to be nervous and I'm going to sweat the first couple of times. But over time, it's going to stretch me or I'm going to learn how to become a better communicator. I'm going to join a speaking club or I'm going to start giving speeches. So you do things that start to move you out of your comfort zone. You realize that you can do them and that makes you feel more confident as well. So in the end, putting yourself out there and going for that discomfort, maybe not all the time because then you get maybe agitated maybe, but definitely pushing those boundaries constantly nagging or just keep on pushing. Is that what, what in the end yes. that builds confidence? And I, think, I think pushing is an interesting word. Pushing, pushing without causing stress, as you said. You, mm. you want to say, you don't want to do a podcast because you dread it. You want to yeah. do it because you think, oh, I think I might like that. So you want to move toward the things that interest you, but maybe right now are a little bit scary. So break it down into chunks. Okay. Rather than, you know, leaping into hosting my podcast, you know, five days a week, I'm going to attempt a monthly podcast and I'm going to learn all about it. So you start to take those steps and each step feeds the other. You mentioned a marathon. Do you run marathons? Are you a runner? Um, uh, well, not marathons yet. I run half marathons. So I'm next today in a week, I'll be running a half marathon here. So you wanted to do that, right? And how did you lead up to that? Did you just go out and run a half marathon? Um, funny story. Um, we actually, my friend and I are doing it together. So we did a lot of running, so eight and a half, 10, and then we were supposed to do our first like long, long distance. So 15 that we actually ran a half marathon because we felt energized and we're happy. And then we did it. Um, but a lot, I think it was, it was a good day. We, we had fun, we took an easy run. So that was cool. So you built up to it, right? You had the goal, yeah. you, you chose a running partner, you both wanted to do it. So that's a great way to do things. But there's, I think, I think it's important for people, it goes back to social media where people seem to just be famous overnight or appear to have these goals mm. that are out of nowhere. No, there's a process to achieving things and that all all that all those steps build confidence so in the end effect it's really just going for it is what is that going for it with awareness and it's what's the word i want to use a mindfulness so that you don't so you don't end up being discouraged so you want to go mm -hmm. for it right so you, okay i want to do that thing how do I set it up so that I move toward my goal without creating failure out of the gate? You want to have little mm -hmm. successes along the way. Wow, I ran a mile. Hey, then I did three. Then I did five. I want to celebrate that. Always celebrate. Wow, I did that. Oh my God, I just did 15. You want to keep adding on to those things. And also, you know, the other thing about goal setting and confidence is if you run into 
a setback as opposed mm. to saying, well, that shows I can't do it. Why, why even bother to make an adjustment on your goal? You know, always adjust goal, always adjust the goal rather than give up on the goal. Oh, maybe I mm. shouldn't be running five miles a day to start. Let me adjust the goal and run two and a half. And, yeah. and so being able to pivot really is what it's about. So now actually between what you've said, um, I, there's two questions that have come to my mind. The first is now you said adjust your goals, but if I want a, a treadmill or outside and I go like, all right, I've run three kilometers today, but my goal was running 10. I go, no, I'm going to adjust that to five. I'm just run back. Um, is that, re is it, isn't there, well, at least for me, I feel like there needs to be a certain goal when I start maybe today because else I'll just go, yeah, I'm actually tired. You know what? I'll just run one or I'll do a 500 meter sprint and go back. Good point. I think what I want to, I think what, what I meant to say was the, adjust the interim goal. So you still mm. want the goal, but if getting there is you're running into like, I, I, I push myself too fast here. You can still go toward the goal, but adjust some of the steps that are getting you there. So if the goal is 10 miles and you are trying to start out on day one by running five and you realize you really can't do that every day, adjust the mileage using the running analogy to I'm going to run three miles every day this week leading up to the goal of 10 miles. So it's it's that's what I mean by adjustment that adjust the the process, but you don't have to okay. give up the goal. I I think I, I I get where you're going with it. Not not maybe not. I'm going. Oh, I just had a pizza. I don't want to go running. But not starting off if you're training for a half marathon, running twenty kilometers the first day because that's in effect. Then you might as well just run the one and a half more. <laughs> That's right. Or forcing or overriding your body. You know, sometimes people mm. start or we're using that. It's a great analogy to use running, but people will start to run and they'll injure themselves because they're, they're pushing too hard. So it's, so some people will stop, you know, they need to heal and some people will stop forever, but some people will stop and heal and then start walking and then start jogging and then start running. So you have to, from my perspective, accept your humanity. We're not machines yet. Yet. We're not completely machines. <laughs> Maybe we sometime. Need, that's right. We need to honor our humanity that there are going to be things that get in our way. And if we can accept those things and, and adjust to them and have compassion toward ourselves, we can that then we can still keep going. Okay. Yeah, I I, I think I understand. Then the second point I was talking about, I heard a bit out what you said was be realistic. Is that a very important? Because in the end, I feel like you want to push the goals, but is where do you cut the boundaries? Is two months away in Ironman, is that too far? Or is that just really just pushing my physical lim limits every day and going for it? Or is that just over top stupid, quite frankly? Well, I, you know that, so the, I think that there's an assessment, right? So let's say that, mm. you know, I want to run an Ironman. I want to do it in two months let me be realistic about who I am and where I am in my life. So I'll, sh I'll share a story with you. And it actually has to do with running. I worked with a woman who used to run every day and that made her feel great. She loved it. And then she had a baby and she you know, was with her baby and went through that adjustment and wanted to get back to exercise. 
And she said to me, I want to go back to the running schedule I did before I had the baby and I can't seem to do it. And I was like, what do you think? So we talked about it. And when I watched her, when she talked about the goal that she used to, the mileage she used to run before the baby, the thought of doing it now, post baby, with her full life was overwhelming to her. And she was resisting and she was getting angry at herself for not doing it. Why can't I do it? Why should I be able to do it? And in reality, her life had changed. So she had to make the adjustment of her life. She had to say, I'm now a new mom. What can I do to get my fitness going again? So what she came up with, she got a running stroller and she started out by jogging and she ran with her baby three days a week. Before that, she used to run five days a week, but it was unrealistic now. She still felt like she was achieving something important for herself by running three days a week with her baby. So that's, I think, an example of adjusting. Now, if over time she's like, I can now run four days a week with the baby and five, good for her. But, but a way to gauge your goals is to say, what's going on in my life right now? Maybe last year I had all the free time in the world, but maybe now I'm a full-time student or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Let me set a realistic goal so I don't end up discouraging myself before I even start. Yeah. But now we've talked about all of these things that help us get confidence or help us boost our confidence. What is a big misunderstanding from boosting confidence? I think it goes back to that idea that one, that either you have it or you don't, either you're born with mm. it or you don't. And the, and the other thing I see is that people think that having confidence is only this one way. It's like, oh, it's the loudest person in the room. It's the person at the party who's, you know, telling all the jokes and is, seems very easy with themselves. That's the standard that people think they need to aim toward with confidence. But that doesn't have to be your standard because people express confident, confidence differently. They're, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've, I've had experiences where I've walked in the room and sometimes the person who is saying the least is the most quiet, is, is quiet and the most confident person in the world. Because when they do speak, they pass on wisdom. Yeah, it's like they don't need to speak for an hour, but when they speak for 10 minutes, they want you to listen and pay attention. And, and you do, you'll right? Actually get, yeah, and you actually get something from it. That's right. And they're not larger than life. So that's a myth about confidence that everyone has to aim toward this motivational speaker type energy when in fact mm. you can find your own personal energy about confidence and express it through your personality. And that is just as valuable. Okay, so in the end effect, what we're trying to go after is not being confident does has nothing to do with how loud you are, how much you say it's actually <laughs> just how okay you are with actually being silent. Because in the end effect, maybe for me, this is if I'm confident around the person, so a good friend, I don't need to speak to him constantly. It's okay if I'm just on the phone and he's on the phone next to me and I have no problem. But if it's a new person I've not met, like this is awkward. What what are like the connections bad? But is is that maybe something that has to do with it? Like that you constantly have this idea of confidence being just 
blurring out things. Yeah, that that you don't have to show people you're confident by talking and and being a person that you're not. You can express your confidence by choosing when you want to speak, what you want to share, and expressing it from your personality. That's fine. And in terms of, you know, social situations, this is, you know, I coach people in communication skills and a, and a, a tip is, a tip and a, and a realization is everyone's nervous in social situations, parties. I mean, why wouldn't we be? We're with people we don't know. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. What I have found is a great technique to get things going is to ask open-ended questions questions like who, what, where, when, and how. Who do you know at this party? When did you meet them? What do you do? And and then you can get them talking and then you can build on that conversation and that helps you feel more confident. Okay. And so in the end effect, it's really not who's the loudest, but who actually is just there and feeling comfortable with just being there. It's the, It's the... It's exactly what you said. It's being comfortable with yourself automatically radiates confidence. And when I say mm. radiates, it doesn't have to be this, you know, larger than life energy, but just exudes that people pick up when you're pick up on the fact that you feel comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Now we've heard that you have a lot of knowledge in building confidence, but why did you choose to do what you do today? Well, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, why did I become a therapist initially? That was my, that's my first primary, you know, profession. I moved around a lot as a kid and my father was in the military. So I was moving from different parts in the United States, lived overseas for a while. And I think that forced me when I would arrive in new situations to kind of figure things out and to understand about people. I've always liked people, but I think that moving around made me focused on them and finding out about them. And it was a way to make friends, you know, let me discover who you are and, and find a way to fit in. And that naturally led to this curiosity about people. And then over time, in any job I had, and I've had many jobs before I became a therapist, I worked in restaurants, I, I was a dog walker, I worked as a coat check. I mean, I had all these different careers before I eventually was like, oh, I want to be a therapist. What I liked most about those jobs was talking with people. And that led me to becoming a therapist. And then from there, I started to give speeches, which we talked about pushing oneself. I had to stretch myself. I started to give speeches. And then people started to approach me about communication skills and helping them do speeches, which is something that I continue to do. But then as I worked with them, other issues would arrive, you know, arise. And it Mm. wasn't necessarily, they didn't want to necessarily be in therapy. They just wanted to target those issues. And I found that I really loved doing that. I really loved being a coach. Now, before in early on the podcast, you mentioned that you see it a bit differently, how these Instagram stories and what, what's actually behind the post, more like in the brain of the person. And how did you, like, I maybe not 
how did you learn to see behind like I mean, of course it's when you studied it but how can i like maybe i guess putting your university years into like five sentences what can i learn to see more like what's actually in people's minds and not just what they're lying about and portraying in a wrong way maybe well in person because my mm. whole training is body mind you know i really believe that our bodies continue to give us signals and signs when something's off we're constantly getting this signal sent to the brain it's really fast there have been studies done on it. it's like you know a tenth of a second that's why sometimes we will you know meet someone that we're gonna someone's pitching us we meet them and on paper everything looks great but as we sit with them our stomach is like flipping or our heart is beating or, or we're tense and we're like what's what what is wrong here and it's usually because we are perceiving a lot of nonverbal information that sometimes we override. We go, well, he's, you know, she looks great on paper, so I'm going to accept the idea. And then later on, we regret it because we discount all of that nonverbal stuff. So I, I always say one way to do it if you're in the room with someone is to say, if my stomach is flipping and I'm feeling edgy about this person, at least let me give myself the space to figure out why. And then what I mean by that is, okay, thanks for coming in. Great pitch. I'll get back to you. And to sit with yourself and be like, huh, what was it about that person? And then as you start to slow down what you just experienced, I call it slowing down the, the recording, slowing down what you just perceived, you might say, you know, they never really looked me in the eye. Or when I asked them important questions, they looked away or they hesitated or they kind of talked around the issues and they weren't straightforward. So I say honor those physical symptoms, kind of gut, I'm talking about gut mm. instinct, honor your gut instinct and give yourself space to figure it out. So that's one thing. And, and the other thing is on social media, I have so much to say about social media as a therapist, but uh, one of the things is if you, if you are following someone and you end up feeling worse and worse and worse about yourself, take a break and figure out why. Hmm. Why, as I watch this person, am I feeling uncomfortable? Am I, is it my own envy? Or is it the fact that they're not sharing enough about the reality of their life? Everything is so good all the time. How could that be? How could that be? Yeah. And in fact, now I've been a bit in the, I guess, social media, or at least in the entertainment business, like YouTube, podcasting, and so. Um, and a lot of people actually say when, when they do a lot of social media and have big social media followings, they actually don't use them themselves. They have it on their phone to upload, but they never actually are scrolling through Instagram or Twitter or whatever you're using. So I think that's kind yeah. of interesting. It's it's because it's it's it can be really uh, I don't want to say it can. Well, I'll put it that way. Emotionally damaging to your self esteem to continually compare your life to someone's apparent life. 
it's what you see, but it's not what you really know. So you keep saying, gee, here I am sitting in my one bedroom apartment and this person is taking pictures on the beach and their mansion and life is wonderful for them. And what about me? And if you end up feeling badly, there's a disconnect. And I think it's important to take a break. And the other thing I say is when you're feeling down, going on social media sites is not a way to make you feel better. Yeah. No, it's usually will make you feel much, much worse. That's the time when you need to reach out to your friends, where you need to get out of your house and get out and get a different perspective. Social media is not going to satisfy that feeling of inadequacy or having a bad day or whatever it is. And I think that's a great way to segment into the five standard questions by talking about how to not use social media that much. Um, yeah, I think you have gotten the five standard questions or weren't you there? You have. Yes. All right, that's good. Um, so we'll start off with the first one. What do you regret buying or investing in? And because we are an entrepreneurship and business podcast, we're not talking about stocks or a startup or anything that will will look more as a, uh, an investment. We're talking about like an expensive car or whatever you might have. I regret not not investing in an apartment that I had in New York City. It was a large two bedroom apartment, and I I lived there and I rented it out after I left, and I would rent it out to tenants, and then I let go of the lease. And later on, like shortly after that, and there was always this like, oh, it's going to convert to condominiums, and we can get buy in at a low price if I had just stayed, kept the lease and continued to, to sublet, I would have been fine. But I was starting a new life. I was in love and I, I was like, that's done. And so I have some financial regrets about not having that property to sell in New York City. Okay. And then let's move on to the best investment, something like that. We're talking more about books again, the trip, um, university, whatever. The best investment I ever made was in my communication skills. And I believe, and I, you know, Warren Buffett, the American investor, I saw this he his quote, I don't, I'm gonna paraphrase it, but he said that investing in your communication skills is one of, will take you 50% farther than where you are now, because you mm -hmm. can have all the thoughts and brilliance in your brain that you want, but if you can't express it and share it with people, then no one's ever gonna know. So I invested in my communication skills. I joined an organization called Toastmastersinternational.org. I don't know if you know about it. Yeah. It's a wonderful organization. It's not only for learning communication skills, but for the community of people who are learning them with you. From that point, I got offered speaking opportunities by people in the club and that launched my whole speaking career. So you don't have to do that, meaning you don't have to want to become a, a speaker, but investing in good communication skills, coaching and training, absolutely a great investment for me. Cool. And now you could quickly mention the quote. Um, you want to move over to your favorite quote? Oh, yes. I have to look at it because I, I wrote it down. It's and I can never remember it. It's by Leonard Bernstein. He's a American composer. He's he's most well known for the music to the West Side West Side Story, 
and he's he was an American composer and conductor, and he said, to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not enough time. Okay, and how is it you interpret that quote? I feel that sometimes if we wait until the right moment, like, oh, I'm going to wait to the right opportunity, I'm going to wait till all the circumstances are great before I do that thing, we never end up doing it. And I think having a general plan of where you want to go and then putting a deadline on it gets you there farther and faster. And okay. I do that in my own life, writing a book. I had to write a book with a deadline and I wrote it. So there are things that having a deadline and not quite enough time really motivates you to finish those, those plans. Ah, uh, you wrote a book, uh, just some. I did. I wrote two books. I wrote a book called Worried Sick, and that's all about breaking free from chronic worry. That's on my website. And another book called Find Your Inner Voice. And that's all about learning how to grab onto your instinct and intuition and use it for success. Ah, cool. And then I would actually love to read those before the podcast. I usually, if the, the person has written a book, I like to read them before. It just gives me a lot of knowledge about, about you, especially so. But uh, next time, maybe. Uh, what's the weirdest way you've made money before? I, I shared it a little bit earlier. I was, a, I was a dog walker. And I was one of those people that I, you know, where you are. I mean, I, in New York, you know, pre-pandemic, you often see people, dog walkers with six dogs, you know, walking through the city. And that was me. I, I had a dog walking business and I had my dog clients and I would you know, pick them up one by one. And I earned a living that way for a couple of years until I, that was right before I went to school to get my social work degree to become a therapist. And I had my dog clients. And then I created a speech from that experience that I went on to compete with. And I have an idea down the road for a book about that experience and the lessons you learn, because you learn a lot when you walk dogs. And it was one of my favorite jobs. Now, you mentioned you had a dog walking business, and that's the word I want to hang on to. Would you consider yourself an entrepreneur? I do. I really do. And and I, I coach other therapists on how to start private practices. And one of the things that's missing often for practitioners is the business sense that not only are you helping people, but you also have to help yourself and, and earn a living. So I definitely consider myself an entrepreneur, and I spend a lot of time on my business to keep it healthy and flourishing. Cool, yeah. Because in the end of fact, we're an entrepreneur uh, podcast. So we have had podcasts where the other person is not really an entrepreneur, but helps entrepreneurs in some way. So if you consider yourself an entrepreneur, that's cool. Um, and then let's move to the uh, last one for today. Uh, what's your number one bucket list goal right now? And I know we're in Corona, but we'll just forget about Corona because that's more fun. Right, right. After Corona, I want a zip line somewhere. Like I want a zip line somewhere really like spectacular, like through through a forest, over an ocean, you know, through a jungle. I really want to go go on a zip line that is, you know, not just the one you hang in your backyard, and, you know. Yeah. go on the clothesline but one that you really like fly through nature i would love to do that and i think that's a great way to round off this podcast any final words for you before we cut the 
podcast for today. Well, I, I want to let listeners know that, you know, I believe that one of the ways that we can access our confidence is to lower our stress and, and, you know, get grounded. So I am offering people who pop onto my website that there's a way to get a free gift and it's a, it's for busy people. It's a, an audio download and it's called stress relief. It's set to very soothing original music. You can do it in your middle of your busy day. You can shut everything off. Listen to this five minute stress relief audio. Take a deep breath and then get back to your life. So that's available to all of your listeners if they sign up on my website. Yeah, cool. They Can you mention the website name so people will figure out where it is? Sure. It's Carol Ward, Carol with a K, K-A-R-O-L-W-A-R-D.com, carolward.com. Cool. Yeah. And hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll be back with another episode next Saturday. See you then.